Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dishing with Digest. I'm Stephanie Sloan, Editorial Director, here with Mara Levinsky, Senior Editor. Hi, everyone. Well, Mara, Lindsay Godfrey made her return to Days of Our Lives as Sarah, and in our new issue, she talks about her surprise exit and comeback. So we last saw Sarah in March of 2021 when Kristen rolled her out of town in a steamer trunk, uh, and there has been very little mention of her up until recently. So of course, with Xander and Gwen getting closer, it's the perfect time to reintroduce the character. Lindsay admits she was surprised when she was written out and was really sad because she liked working and really liked working at days specifically. And she also clarifies that she didn't leave because of her mental health, as some seem to think. She said it was a total coincidence that after she last aired, she took to Instagram to reveal she was border polar and was battling both borderline personality disorder and bipolar disorder. Uh, But that had nothing to do with her Salem departure. You know, Lindsay has always been so forthcoming about her struggles through the years, and this interview was particularly revealing, which I absolutely commend her for. But ultimately, she's back, so expect to see some shakeups on screen. Well, it's definitely about time. I mean, if memory serves, we have uh, kind of dinged the show in the magazine for how unrealistic it was that Sarah essentially just vanished and none of the people in her Salem life mentioned her, uh, much less, you know, seemingly noticed that they'd had zero contact with her since she left town. Uh, But I also want to say what a positive trend I think it is to see so many celebrities in the daytime community speaking out so openly and honestly about their mental health struggles. Uh, Obviously, Maurice Bernard from General Hospital has been at the vanguard of that. And I remember when he first launched his YouTube series, State of Mind, he told me that, you know, he wanted to have other actors on the show uh, on as guests, but that several of his castmates had expressed uh, reluctance about talking about such things publicly. But even over the course of the, of the time that he's been doing State of Mind uh, and how positively the candor of his guests is received by the fans, I think we're seeing the sort of melting of that stigma happen in real time. And more and more actors are going on to talk with him about their struggles, be it with anxiety or the impact of early childhood trauma. I mean, I just really love to see it. And Lindsay's story in uh, our magazine was very compelling. Oh, I agree. I mean, it definitely is, as you mentioned, a very positive trend. 
Uh, now, in other days' news, we mentioned that Kevin Spiritus would be back as Craig Wesley, and I spoke to the actor about his comeback. Uh, so without getting too much into the story, it will be one we rarely see play out in daytime, and Kevin was really happy to be asked back to do it. He loved reconnecting both on camera and off with Patrika Darbo, who plays Nancy, and Nadia Bjorlin, who plays his daughter Chloe. And it's so funny because he and Patrika met Nadia when she was like 19, and now she's a married mother of two. And I got the sense from both of them that it's kind of trippy for them to see the way she's just completely blossomed. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I am so psyched to see this family back on screen. I've always felt that Nancy and Craig's daughter, Joy, should come to town as like a teen or a 20-something and mix it up with that group. Uh, you know, she's not related to anyone, so really she is the perfect person to bring on. Absolutely. Uh, now, Luke's memorial service on GH has some major fallout into next week. And I had the privilege of talking to Jeannie Francis, who plays Laura, uh, to get her take on the death of Luke, first of all, and also the brewing conflict between Laura and Victor. Uh, so I have a story with her in the new issue. And while I was chatting with her, I also asked her how she managed to burst into tears at just the perfect moment in those awesome scenes that she had with John Lindstrom when Kevin was was encouraging Laura to open up about how she felt about uh, her ex-husband dying. And she told me that she felt that Laura would break down somewhere in the scene, but she did not plan in advance where she was going to do it. She just listened to her scene partner and let it come naturally. And she also told me that when she gets a script that indicates when and where she's supposed to start crying, she takes a black marker and crosses that out, which I absolutely <laughs> loved finding out. That's amazing. Right. Like, I'll get there. Don't worry. <laughs> um, but I loved reading all of it. I couldn't be more in on that story. I'm also all in on Victor. I think Charles Shaughnessy is doing a terrific job already. And I really love how the Cassidines have been rebooted in the way that they have. You know, this is a family that has such strong ties in Port Charles, and they are the perfect foil for the good guys. Couldn't agree more. And uh, key to the revitalization of that family has been the casting of Nicholas Chavez as an older version of Spencer Cassidyne. We recently named Nicholas as one of Soap's hottest newcomers. And I have so enjoyed the many conversations that we have had since he joined the show. And I couldn't be more pleased that he is our guest on the podcast today. Well, I know nothing about him. So let's get him on the line and see how his poor Charles journey is going. Hi, Nicholas. Hey, hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me on, guys. Oh my gosh, thanks for doing this. We're really looking forward to talking to you. Oh my gosh, same here, same here. It's been so great uh, working with Mara these past, oh God, what is it? Is it seven or eight months now that I've been on the show? So you guys have been amazing. You guys crush it over there at Soap Opera Digest. I mean, Thank you. heck of a job running a, running a weekly publication, right? That is, it is quite a job. And let me say, <laughs> you are in the best hands with Mara. Oh, couldn't agree more, guys. Oh, yeah, I'm amazing. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are going to get to know all about you, Nicholas. So you come from Denver, Colorado. Tell us about your family and about growing up there. I do. Yeah. So um, I'll, I'll back up a minute just to say that I was actually born in uh, Houston, Texas. Oh. And so I lived there for about five years um, with my, uh, my mom and my dad. And I have really, really positive memories there. I lived in a neighborhood called uh, Sugarland, uh, which is pretty cool. And, uh, I had like my first best friend there. Um, and we still keep in touch, uh, which is pretty neat. But then when I was about, uh, well, actually I, we, we moved around a little bit after, um, we moved from Houston to, uh, Germany 
actually. And so I lived there for a few months, nothing crazy. I speak no German, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> but then after, uh, after Germany, um, my dad continued to work uh, in and out of Europe. And uh, we eventually decided that a move to Denver was going to be best. So my, uh, my parents decided to move to um, Denver. And then my dad moved back to his uh, childhood town uh, in Colorado, which is Arvada. Um, my parents also, coinciding with that move, decided to sort of split. And so now I was kind of jumping back and forth between uh, two households, which was, so it was a lot of change all at once. But when you're five years old, you can kind of adapt and roll with the punches. So uh, that's exactly what I did. Um, and then Denver was amazing. Uh, Denver is a great place to grow up in. You know, it's, uh, it's got a lot of cool outdoorsy activities. So I always grew up doing those sorts of things. So whether it was snowboarding or hiking or um, mountain biking, I was, I was definitely on top of that. And then of course I, I played sports. My, my dad's side of the family's uh, big into football. So, uh, you know, they made sure that I was into all the little league and things like that. Um, I was definitely a, a, a precocious, <laughs> a precocious kid. So I was interested in, you know, putting my hand in the cookie jar wherever I possibly could. <laughs> So you sort of discovered your interest in acting when you were in high school very much by accident. So tell us that story. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I was always into performing. Uh, whether I knew that it was going to lead to theater, maybe not. Um, when I was really, really little, my grandmother would give me baths. And I would pretend that the shower curtain was like a stage curtain. So you had like naked, you know, five-year-old me there, like with all of my toys trying to put on some production while, you know, and being like, no, 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 watch, this is the good, you know, this is the funny part or whatever, you know. I, 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 so I always really, really enjoyed performing. And... Um, my my parents saw that and they saw it in really really strange ways uh the other strange thing that i would do is that my family went to church on sundays and i'd watch the priest do his thing and it seemed like a performance of sorts to me so when i got home i, I asked my mom for some bread and then I tried to do like I was blessing, you know, like the Eucharist. And then I had juice for like the wine. And I, I wanted to recreate the whole thing because I loved how performative it felt. And I was like, oh, my God, this guy commands all this presence. Everyone is like hanging on to every last word that he says. So um, that was very, very cool. And so they, they picked up on some of my more, uh, we'll call it performative tendencies when I was younger. And they tried to get me involved with some uh, groups in uh, Colorado. I was a part of the Colorado Children's Chorale, which is like a singing children's choir. And we got to um, sing at uh, like the Ellie Calkins Opera House and the Denver Center for Performing Arts. So growing up, I mean, even though it wasn't in a theater context, I was already, always sort of uh, performing and doing so in a community setting and learning how to work with other people who uh, were also artistic and uh, getting a good sense of the amount of rehearsals that you have to go to in order to put something on. All these little lessons that you don't necessarily know that you're learning when you're learning them, but I look back on them and I'm like, oh, wow, that, that was probably pretty good foundational training for, for what I do now. Um, but more to your point, Mara, about high school, uh, 
yeah, it was weird because I was playing football, which I really enjoyed, but I had also started uh, on the speech and debate team. I don't know how much you know about uh, speech, but it, it's kind of like competitive acting in a way. So there's a lot of different events. You have um, dramatic interp, humorous interp, uh, duo, which is where you work with a partner. And that's what I did. And so then you go and you travel around to all these different tournaments and you have this uh, speech, uh, you know, performance that you do. Uh, I, I think that my first year that I really cared about it, I was doing Dominic and Eugene, which is also, a, a, there's a movie by the same uh, title with Ray Liotta, and I forget the other actor's name, but um, Another it's a really, really, by the way. Yes, yes, of course. Um, so um, very, very, very cool. Didn't he, doesn't he have a really, really interesting story? I thought he played like a dead body on something or, uh, and and that was how he got his start. I deserve to be fact-checked on this, but, you know, <laughs> I, I remember, uh, you know, kind of shooting the stuff with uh, a friend back in Denver, and he had told me a story. I thought it was about Ray Liotta, and I think when he was working in New York, you know, just starting to get his career going, he played, uh, he was like a body double. Um, for someone on uh, on one of the sets in New York, and then they were like, "Hey, you, you know, do you want to come back and maybe do a more a more principal role?" Um, you know, this was before Goodfellas and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, I, th I think that Ray Liotta has a really interesting story. I'm, I, I'd have to read more about what it is. But well, he's our next um, podcast guest. Done. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, cool, cool. Yeah, I'd love to meet him too. So if you if you want us to tag team on that, you know. <laughs> Let me know. Um, but yeah, so I was kind of doing the football thing. I was doing the speech thing and uh, the com the competitive acting, I call it, um, which which was fun and kind of gave me my first foray into it. And I had had some, you know, he, he would lecture on things like um, Shakespearean structure and, you know, what, what makes a good story and dramaturgically, how do things work and what is funny? you know, like the, the rule of three and anti-climax and all of, and putting names to all of these things that I found funny in real life so that I could make jokes and there could be some sort of structure to them. And so that I could tell a, a dramatically interesting story, you know, with a beginning, middle and end, all these super duper basic things that you kind of have to learn. Anyway, uh, at the, uh, at the beginning of my junior year, I was still on the football team, though seriously dabbling in the acting thing. And the, um, the guy who was teaching the speech and debate program had shifted over and now taken over the theater program. And the, the first play that he wanted to put on was To Kill a Mockingbird. And the kid who had been cast as Atticus Finch got horribly sick about two weeks before the production was supposed to go up. And so the guy who had taken over the program who had sort of become a mentor for me comes up to me and he's like, Hey, I've asked like six other people to take over this role and none of them want to do it. So you're literally my last choice, but will you please do this? Like, will you, can, can you help out? Just learn the lines, know the blocking and that's good, but you got to quit the football team and so that you can, you know, pay full attention to this. I'm like, okay, fine. And so I go walk downstairs and I quit with the football coach and you know, they have their feelings about that, but, I, you know, clean out my locker and walk right back upstairs and uh, we jump right into rehearsals. And uh, that was cool. And that was, and kind of no, no going back since then. That's amazing. Uh, well, you spent two years at the Acting Conservatory at Rutgers and then dropped out after your sophomore year to make the move to Los Angeles. So talk us through that decision. Yeah, I learned a lot at that program. Um, 
and some of those things were very, very difficult for me to learn. And um, it's a very intense program. It's a mixed BFA, MFA program. So I believe I was the youngest person in the company. I was 17, just turning 18 when I started my freshman year. But there were people well into their 30s who were also in the program who were learning alongside me. And we did everything together from, uh, you know, eating to partying to working on plays and productions and things like that. And so when you spend that much time around each other, you know, certain, certain things bubble up and you learn some, the ins and outs of some people very, very, very well. And so, and, and you're also sharing these very, very deeply intimate moments with each other. So it was a very challenging program, but I got a lot out of it. And uh, I, I learned a lot about what it meant to be an actor. And uh, they gave me tools in my tool belt that I still use on a day-to-day basis today. You know, things like being in contact with your scene partner and everything that you do on screen or in a play uh, comes too far and off of um, your acting partner and is risen from the circumstance and how characters get created and different ways of working. So uh, it, it's all been very, very useful information. I think ultimately I decided that uh, I was ready to go out into the world and just have some more uh, life experience. And uh, that ended up taking a different shape than what was expected for me. Uh, because of COVID, you know, it kind of threw uh, a, a wrench into the mix as it did for everyone else in the world. But um, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm very, very happy with the decision that I ultimately made to, to leave school and to start my career because um, even if I had finished out the program, I still would have had a couple years of adjusting, I think, to, to the real world and kind of getting my feet under me. So um, like I said, thankful for the training, but also glad that I made the decision and I went out and got that life experience and then eventually forged my own path with this, uh, with the acting thing. So you moved to LA and then a once in a lifetime pandemic hits and the industry shuts down. So what did you do? Yeah, I went back to, so after I left high school, my dad moved from Denver to Florida. It's a little teeny tiny beach town called Vero Beach. It's where my uh, stepmom's family is from. And so they moved there, uh, which is where they still live. And so when the virus hit, I decided that it would be a good idea to go and move back in with them. Um, I did about a month of sitting inside and trying to figure out, okay, you know, where, how long is this going to last? Or, you know, everyone was just sort of feeling it out. And then I was like, well, you know, I want to be able to use this downtime as productively as possible. So I found some organizations that had good COVID safety protocols in place. And uh, I went and I got a job um, as a tax resolution specialist. Uh, and then, yeah, you know, just the, you know, the, the jobs that you do while you're trying to, while you're trying to make it work. Um, and all the while I, I fed that artistic side of me. I have, um, collaborators in Denver that I work with, uh, frequently. And so, uh, we put on digital plays, you know, plays via zoom. I would work on monologues and scenes with other people because, when you have a calling in life, it's very hard to get away from it. Um, and it's sort of the thing that keeps the, uh, the engine going. But uh, I, I, I took a series of, 
of jobs. I, I did the tax resolution specialist thing. I did the uh, I did photography and videography for weddings for a minute, and um, and then the last job that I worked um, was as a, a car salesman at a, a local Hyundai dealership that we had. Um, but incredibly, incredibly, incredibly thankful and grateful for all of those employers and job opportunities that I had because it provided me with so much real world experience. And I had had other jobs before, like I had worked as a, a bus boy and things like that while I was in high school, but it really gave me um, insight into the real world. And um, it made the blessing of getting a, being able to do what I want to do with my life every single day, that much more of a blessing when it actually came. I mean, it was, it was a very, very emotional day for me when I, when I booked the job because it, it just felt um, life changing, which is what it was. Absolutely. Well, to that end in April of last year, you did your self tape audition for Spencer and made a strong enough impression that you were invited out to LA to screen test. So tell us about your whole casting experience and finding out that the job was yours. Oh, wow. This is, this is such a good story. So, um, I, I had been working with a manager, the, the late Genevieve Brewer, um, for a few years and she would send me, um, she would send me self tapes and things like that. And I, I would do all of them because I was like, well, you know, this has to, this has to take priority, you know, like I'm going to go to my job, but I'm going to find a way to make it all work. And if, if they ask for me to go on tape, then I'm going to give it my very, very, very best shot. And as long as you're giving it your best shot, then it's one of those things where it's only a matter of time. You know, you just kind of got to stay at it and keep that persistence. So that's what I did. And uh, they got this self tape and it was interesting because there was no step in between self tape and then doing the screen test, right? Like there was no callback. So it was just we want you to come out to Los Angeles. You're going to have to do so on your own dime. We don't pay for travel. We don't pay for you to go in a hotel. Thank God I had a job so <laughs> I could afford to do that. Another reason why I'm so grateful to those guys is that they gave me, you know, they provided me with a way to earn enough dry powder to actually realize that dream when the time came. Um, but yeah, so I, I flew out to Los Angeles, you know, nervous as heck. I had recently discovered the platform We Audition. Um, and I used that like crazy. And so they gave me all these fake sides that I had to memorize. And then I was talking to everyone on We Audition that I possibly could. I was like trying to get input from uh, as many people as possible. I called um, coaches that I had worked with in the past, other artists that I uh, valued their opinion. And I just tried to source as much information as I possibly could. Um, but I knew that ultimately it would have to come back to the training and it would have to come back to uh, being present in that moment when I finally got into the room. So I, I didn't want to feel rushed. So I got there actually a week early and I took the entire week off work. I think I made up some excuse and I was like, Hey guys, I have to go do, it's a really bad, it's a family thing. And you know, they're like, yeah, 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 go, go, go. <laughs> um, but, uh, but I, I was glad that they were able to play ball with that. So I, I got to Los Angeles. I stayed at the Hollywood hotel in little Armenia, which is not far away from the studio. And I, you know, I would just, I took walks and I would familiarize myself with the, the script and just try to remain as calm as possible. Um, my manager had, uh, had a 
counterpart in uh, Los Angeles, the the assistant that she had that managed her accounting. And so she, you know, made me a home cooked meal when I came, I, they made me feel very, very, very comfortable. And they were all very excited for me. And I wanted to deliver on my end as well. So the day comes where I'm supposed to do my self tape. I'm screen testing with Mara West, Frank pulls me and literally like 15 other guys into a room all with each other. So I'm looking around at all these beautiful guys who, you know, look like new and improved versions of me. And I'm like, Jesus <laughs> Christ, this is, this is just unreal. And so it was really easy to get into my head, right. About, you know, all the reasons why, I, who am I? I'm not cut out to be, I mean, I had hardcore imposter syndrome while I was there. And so, you know, we do a quick rehearsal Frank gives me a couple notes and then we all go back to our respect or excuse me, our respective dressing rooms. And <clears throat> I'm just full of nerves and I'm talking myself in circles and I'm like, look, you know, they want you for you. So just be you. And as long as you're you and you do exactly what you know how to do and all the training that you've done, then they're going to be able to see that. And, you know, if it's not right, then the next thing will be. And so like, once I had that thought to really take the pressure off myself, it was very, very fluid and easy. And, um, eventually, uh, I remember, sorry, just to tell a funny story, I remember doing like really weird, almost interpretive dance moves in my dressing room, like and anything to make me feel like I didn't have to behave like a, like some sort of stiff, you know, like I could be fluid and expressive and as ridiculous or composed as I, as I wanted to be when I got up there, there were no rules. I wanted to do away with all of the rules. And so I finally get up there. And I'm like, okay, I'm relaxed. I'm comfortable. This is an entirely new situation for me, but I'm going to try to stay as present as I possibly can be. And, uh, <clears throat> and we did the scene, we did the rehearsal and Mara is so good. She's incredible. So when, when I worked with her, it felt, what's the word for it? It felt, um, it just felt very present and it felt very organic and real. And I got the sense that other people in the room were picking up on that as well. So we finished our rehearsal and there's no more air in the room anymore, which was a really, really cool feeling. And it's almost like when the scene ended, everything just sort of hung in suspense for a moment. And then after about four seconds of silence, um, Rob, the, the, um, the guy who was kind of orchestrating the logistics of everything pierces the air and just says, okay, let's tape it. And I was like, I was like, okay, great, great, great. Okay. So they liked what just happened, but I, st I reminded myself, I'm like, okay, but I'm not going to try to replicate that because something different might happen in this take. And I want to say, stay super present with, um, whatever the improvisation is. And, uh, we taped it and then they just said, thank you. And I left. And that was, that was my audition experience. And how'd you get word that you did good? The job was yours. So when I, as soon as I left, of course, I call, you know, my manager and I call my dad and I'm like, this is how I think it went. I have no idea. They're like, well, do you think you booked it? And I was like, I just said, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> so they're all very excited. I'm of course very excited, but I was like, guys, I, I feel good about it, you know? And, uh, 
I, I think that I, I went in there and I, I did my thing. So hopefully, you know, if, if, if that thing is right for their show, then, you know, maybe. Uh, and so I just kind of hung out, but I told my manager, I was like, Hey, I booked a return flight cause I have to go back to work next week. So, um, but I know that this role is set to shoot the following Wednesday for the first day. So, um, if, it, if, you know, if they decide that they want me, it doesn't really make sense for me to get on that flight. So is there any way that you could try to get a response, um, before I have to get on that flight on Saturday. And so 24 hours after I uh, self-taped, or excuse me, screen tested, uh, my manager calls me and says, um, do you prefer going by Nick or Nicholas? And I said, Nicholas. And she says, well, that's great because that's what you're going to be going by for the next three years while you're on the show. And, um, and uh, yeah, that, uh, that really meant a lot to me. I, uh, I, I completely freaked out. I, uh, I, I lost my mind. It was, uh, I was with my friend Alex at the time and I just, you know, I was jumping up and down and screaming and pacing back and forth in her apartment. <clears throat> I called my dad and, uh, I've told this story before, but he, uh, he was freaking out and he started hitting himself in the forehead because he, he was trying to wake himself up from whatever dream he thought he was dreaming at the time. Um, so it was just, it was, it was a life-changing moment and, uh, how, you know, how blessed am I to, to get to experience that this lifetime. Pretty incredible. So then you have to report to work and, uh, really hit the ground running. So what, what stands out to you about your first day and like who, who helped show you the ropes, who helped show you where to go in the building? That place is a maze. <laughs> I mean, if I, if I was able to do away with those nerves during my screen test, it was only because they just resurfaced tenfold on my first day. <laughs> I mean, I got there and it's like, okay, well now you have to do the job. <laughs> There's a really funny thing that one of my former acting coaches used to tell me that says, uh, if you want to piss an actor off, give him a job. <laughs> or if you want to make him feel nervous, give him a job, you know, because it's terrifying. It's terrifying when you show up there on your first day and you're like, all right, well, I got to be this guy. And, you know, I've talked to the head writer and I've done my research, but I'm, I'm trying to figure this out. You know, I'm still trying to figure this out. So um, you can't really do anything else but fall face first. And there were a lot of really goofy technical mistakes that I made on my first day because, I mean, we, we, I made home movies and a couple independent things with my family and friends when I was a kid, but... Other than that, I'd never been on camera. You know, I, I, I'd pretty much done all theater training. But, you know, I, I, I had an idea in my mind of what it might be like. And the idea in my mind was, you know, all right, and we're filming. And, you know, in, in five, four, three, two, one, action. And none of that happens. It's, <laughs> it's, it's not like that at all. It's... Um, you know, it's where people work. So we, we come there and we have a process and it's a very, very uh, well-oiled machine and everyone is behaving very, very calmly because they want to open up the energy and the space for the actors to be able to do their work. And so I just wanted to make sure that I was able to take that space as responsibly as possible. But like the countdown thing, it's such a silly thing, but they don't say one, they count down to two and then you're just supposed to start the scene. So they go five, four, three, two, 
and I'm still standing there. I'm like, do I, do I go? <laughs> so it was, it was a lot of really, really goofy technical mistakes, I guess is what I'm saying. And because I didn't have a good technical understanding at that time, I didn't really feel as though I could do my best work because I was just trying to get it right, quote unquote. Um, and I don't think that that makes for terribly good acting. <laughs> so once I kind of settled in and better understood uh, technically how everything worked and the workflow of the show, that enabled me to um, bring more to the table in terms of the character and in terms of, of the educational background that I have. Mm -hmm. Well, you also came in with a very heavy workload. I mean, this was not a character that was introduced like once a week and then, right. you know, got a big story. So yeah. what was that like for you to sort of really hit the ground running there? Well, I love to work. It's one of my favorite things. So I, I didn't look at it as anything other than an absolute treat. It was, it was incredible in, in every single way. I mean, I got to do what I love doing every single day. And it was also in part to the fact that I was working so often and consistently that I was able to settle in so quickly um, because you, as you get more and more and more reps, you naturally just start to feel more comfortable and breathe. And now when I show up to set, my heart rate barely goes up. It goes up maybe a touch, but you know, for the most part, I'm able to, to remain pretty calm and in the pocket. Um, yeah. So it, it was, it was, it was great. It was, it was a lot of work, but it wasn't anything that I didn't expect and uh, coming from my background at the acting conservatory, we had 12 or 14 hour days, you know, so I was, I was used to working bell to bell and I was used to doing so in an artistic capacity. So um, it was very cool. I really enjoyed it. So when your first episode of General Hospital aired, it was your first time seeing yourself on television. And I know the family celebrated uh, in a very sweet way. And I want to hear that story again. Yeah, I, <laughs> they, they had a really cool uh, cake made for me. I guess it's like, it's, um, you know, Dairy Queen or one, one of those, uh, one or like a supermarket chain, like a Publix or something. They, uh, they laser printed a screenshot of me in that, uh, they call it a ninja costume. It's not the ninja costume. It's like the stalker <laughs> outfit, but he kind of looks like a ninja. So it's permanently known in my family as the ninja costume. And uh, they, they, they screen printed on the top of the cake, me and the ninja costume when I first uh, saw Trina. And uh, then we all had cake and we, uh, we watched the show. Um, and, you know, I was really weirded out by watching myself on screen. And I was like, well, there's my face and there's the ABC logo. And um, it was, it was really cool. I, 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 to be very candid with you, I wasn't very happy with the acting of it. Um, but I also thought back to the experience of taping it. And I knew that there were so many other things going on in my brain. So, uh, you know, I was like, okay, well, this is, this is where you start like anything else. So that's fine. Well, other than uh, not knowing the countdown um, terminology, is there any other memorable flub that you've made since you started? There was uh, one episode that Gary was directing, and it's when I, uh, when Ava has Spencer arrested, and then we go to the um, uh, the police station. Yeah, exactly. And so I turned to the officer. Um, 
and I say, uh, can I please have a minute alone in private with my girlfriend, which is very, very redundant. And that's because that's a line that I made up and not what was actually in the script. <laughs> what was actually in the script is, can I have a moment alone with my girlfriend? Not a moment alone in private with my girlfriend. <laughs> so I, I messed this up the first time, right? And then Gary comes over the intercom and he's like, yeah, Nick, it's just minute alone with my girlfriend. I was like, okay, Gary, I got it. No problem. We got it this time. So they go, oh, four, three, two. Hey, can I have a minute alone in private with my girlfriend? And I throw my hands up in the air and I'm like, oh God, I just did it again. <laughs> and Gary comes over. He's like, Nick, again, it is just a minute alone with my girlfriend. And I was like, okay, Gary, 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 that's enough. I got it. I will get it this time. It's not a problem. He's like, all right, so four, three, two. Hey, can I... Can I have a minute alone in private with my girlfriend? And then the whole, the whole, uh, 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 the whole film crew just erupts. They're, they just erupt with laughter, and I'm like, just beat red. I'm sure. But I'm, I'm like getting embarrassed right now, just telling the story. But it was, it was terrible. So I had to take a minute to go, you know, compose myself, and then I came back and. The next, uh, the next take that we did, I, I was able to actually say the line correctly. But um, I've, I've definitely been, um, you know, that's been brought to my attention several times. So <laughs> that's a that's a hard incident to live down. Uh, well, by by virtue of his lineage, Spencer uh, is, you know, connected to so many important players in Fort Charles. He's member of the Cassidine family, the Spencer family, the, the, the Corinthos family. Um, and he has arguably like the most famous grandmother in daytime television in Jeannie Francis, who plays Laura. So tell us about working with the legend that is Jeannie Francis. Oh my goodness. She's amazing. And a pretty good chess player too, actually. Um, <clears throat> but uh, she, she's phenomenal. And I've actually told this to Jeannie. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a story. So we were, uh, filming something recently, maybe <clears throat> maybe about five weeks ago, and I turned to her and I'm because I'm watching her interface with some of the other actors and actresses, and I was like, Jeannie, you know what? And she goes, What? And I was like, Well, you have a really, really calming presence. Just being around you just feels so. There's so much warmth that you generate for this cast. People just love being around you, and. I was actually noticing this when I was watching the show too. That warmth translates so well on camera. In fact, it's it's highlighted because the the camera is so unforgiving, right? It picks up everything that it actually picks up the warmth that you radiate too. And it's just so 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 powerful to watch and to 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 be a part of. It's it's really cool. She's a very special person. Oh, I love that. Um, well, you've also become close with your on-screen dad, Marcus Coloma. So tell us about that. Yeah. Oh, I hate that guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love Marcus. He's amazing. Um, we, we have a really, really, really good friendship. And, uh, you know, we're dorks, so we send each other chess memes and things like that. Uh, we play whenever we're on set with each other. And um, he also introduced me to rock climbing. He and Johnny Wachter both both did. And uh, Johnny and I actually just went climbing last night. It was really, really, really fun. But um, yeah, I'm, I've developed some close relationships with a handful of people on the cast. And it's been really, 
nice because we all have different schedules, but for the most part, the same schedule because we, <laughs> we, uh, we have a decent amount of free time. And so we're able to go off and do fun things like go on hikes and go rock climbing and play chess and, uh, it's it's really, really cool. I feel very blessed to have those kinds of friendships and relationships when I show up to work. So since you've um, you know been playing Spencer in these months, uh, I think it's safe to say that Spencer's uh, antipathy toward Ava has only deepened. Uh, but from the screen test to now, you know, what has your experience been working opposite uh, Mora West? Hmm. I mean, talk about a powerhouse and just a consistent key player just uh, it's it's amazing how dropped in she is every single time and one of the greatest things about working with Mara it it may, it puts me at ease because I know that she's going to be 100% present and in the pocket the entire time and we can work very fluidly with each other because all we have to do is listen to each other I know that she's going to come prepared so as long as I prepare on my end, all we have to do is live moment to moment to moment to moment in the scene. And so, and, and she's just, she's a master at that. She's really, really good. So <clears throat> I've learned that with Mara, uh, less is more, honestly, and just listen. And as long as you're listening and paying attention to the choices that she's making and then developing a point of view about what you think about what she's doing, all of that's going to read on camera. Mm -hmm. Well, your uncle on the show is also a pretty big deal. It's Maurice Bernard mm. who plays Sonny. So tell us about mm. working with him. We haven't worked together a ton, but I really like the scenes that we uh, do have with each other. He's a really subtle actor, so you have to be paying attention. Um, so much of Spencer's character is about uh, picking up information. Uh, so he's he's always looking for clues or he's looking for a way in. He's trying to figure out what makes people tick. How can I use that to my advantage? Um, what is this relationship looking like? So he he's manipulative in that sense, right? He's always looking for information to gain an advantage. Now, when you're working with someone like Maurice, who doesn't give any information really and the information that he gives is very 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 subtle it makes you have to pay attention that much more and he has to get really clever with his tactics in terms of how he tries to get that information out of him so he's like okay well do i play the victim or do i play someone who's in a position of power i mean do i um uh, do I try to play the long game and make him think that, okay, this is a smart and capable kid who is going to redeem himself. And then once he does, he's learned his lesson and maybe he's ready for bigger and better things. Maybe I could align myself with him in the future. So Spencer's thinking all of these things in the back of his head. Um, it's just a matter of when you're working with Maurice, he is very detailed. He's very specific. That's what makes him such a tremendous actor. And so Spencer, the character has to pay very, very close attention to the choices that Sonny is making because you can miss it if you're not paying attention. So pretty much from the moment that Spencer, uh, in his ninja costume, no less, uh, crossed paths with Trina, fans saw a real spark between you and her portrayer, Sydney Michaela, and there is a strong Sprina fan base, to say the least. Uh, so tell us about your real-life dynamic with Sydney. Um, it's amazing. <clears throat> she was uh, one of my first friends on the show. Uh, me and all the other kids really get along with each other, you know, me and Avery and 
Eden and William and Sydney were all very close with one another. <clears throat> so working with Sydney has been awesome. And she always comes with really strong choices as well. And she kind of has carved out for herself a very cool character, someone who's very likable. Um, and Sydney is also that person in real life. She's very, very sweet. She's very, very smart. Uh, she gives fantastic advice. And so <clears throat> I found that in a lot of ways, I was able to use our off-screen friendship on screen because she just is that person. She's wonderful and likable, wants to be your friend, wants to support you, um, you know, is, is willing to uh, talk to you about if, if, if you're struggling with something on the show or, you know, like, hey, can we work through this problem or try to make this scene work in a little bit of a better way? She's the first to be there. And uh, it's, it's really awesome. So I, I, that's, that's the key takeaway I would say is that um, I was really able to use our off-screen friendship and then extrapolate that into something that worked romantically on screen. Well, what have been some of your favorite Sprina moments so far? I really liked when we were first meeting at the, at the park and she has that uh, book in her hand. Yeah, we, we end up talking about art. And then that's the first time that she gets a sense that uh, Victor at that point uh, was, you know, is, is cultured enough. You know, it was, it was fun playing the Victor thing because it wasn't who I actually was, but it was, it was, it was hard as an actor because I was like, okay, well, I have this other person who I don't really want to address right now so let me just be freed up to be uh, in this relationship, you know, with, with this girl and, le and let her think the world of me and me think the world of her in return. And that's all that Victor was. And for the few moments while Victor actually lasted, I think that Spencer was maybe the happiest that he's ever been. And I think that's just the truth of it. So it was a very, very happy time for Spencer. The sad part is that it was all made up. Um, which is sort of the heartbreaking aspect of it. The other stuff that I really like with Sydney was when she had had some issue with her mother. And then we kind of have that uh, heartfelt talk outside of Kelly's where I talked to her about uh, parents are people, <laughs> you know, like everybody else and they make mistakes. Um, so see her as such and don't hold her to some unrealistic standard because uh, over and above all, she loves you and that's all that matters. And then it's just been amazing to experience those highs and lows with her, you know, to, to ask the world of her and for, and just to feel terrible that I've, I've demanded so much of this friendship and really Spencer hasn't been able to give a whole lot back. And I think that weighs on him pretty heavily, you know, uh, that, he he feels like someone who just kind of leapfrogs from one person to the next. And that's, uh, that's going to need to be something that is developed for him. I think if he's going to have uh, better interpersonal relationships, he's going to need to understand that there's a give and take with every relationship and that you can only demand so much of other people before you kind of need to offer some value in return. Mm -hmm. But he's trying. He's figuring it out. I mean, it comes from, he's got a tough, tough situation that he's trying to live through right now. Well, on paper, the reason that Spencer cannot be with Trina is because he is taken. Uh, your character's girlfriend was introduced uh, in the form of Avery Pohl, who plays Esme. So tell us about working with her. I, I, 
adore Avery. I think that she's incredible. She's a very, very hardworking actress. We have the same acting coach, which is really fun because that acting coach actually ends up playing a little bit of a director behind the scenes, right? Because she'll tell Avery to set something up like, hey, I think that in this scene, when you're talking to Spencer, you have this secret or you're actually working on this and this. I mean, we all know how mischievous Esme can be. And then she'll try to give me something else that contradicts with that. And so we have all of these things taking place underneath the script that we, the actors, have put in there. And sometimes the audience, it's fun for us to go onto Twitter and then we'll, we'll see like, hey, did they pick up on like this subconscious stuff that we were trying to plant here, here, and here? And it's fun when you see that it actually got received. Um, <clears throat> and so that's, uh, it's, it's, it's been really, really cool working with her. She takes it very seriously. So I, I know that I can always talk to her and, um, and, and she can work in a really interesting way too. Um, we did a we did a FaceTime call the other day where I t and I texted her before I was like, hey, do you want to just treat um, me answering the call as though it's me walking in through the door? Um, and and she understood what that meant, right? So we 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 decided to do away with the whole Nicholas and Avery catching up with each other and traded that in for let's just treat this as though it is the scene and let's do it virtually. And so she can work, she can work in that way. And uh, that's something very special that you don't really find terribly often, but I'm very grateful that I get to work with her in that way because we share a lot of screen time with each other. Mm -hmm. Well, Trina and Esme really couldn't be more different. So what would you say that Spencer is drawn to in each girl? Yeah, put simply, Esme represents his comfort zone and uh, Trina represents a great deal of uncomfortability for him. There's a lot of vulnerability that he hasn't necessarily been, Spencer hasn't been rewarded for vulnerability in his life. I mean, I think about the scenes in Windermere where he turns to his father and he tries to explain that this stalking, I did it for you. I did it in service of you because that's how we show love in this screwed up family. And he says, can you see that? Can you understand that? That I was just following tradition. And that's a very, very vulnerable moment for Spencer. On top of that, he had just told the truth. He's like, okay, I'm going to be the bigger man. I'm going to come clean here. And then it's met with, you're going to prison. We're going to lock you up. We're going to take away your trust fund. You have to get this job that you hate. Rude. Not going to get a moment alone in private with your girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, it's, it's completely, completely uh, thrown away. Um, whenever he tries to be the bigger man and share something that is vulnerable, it's, um, it's, it's not looked at well. So it's, it's scary for him. And I think somewhere deep down, Spencer knows that that is the right way to live your life. Unfortunately, there are a lot of politics involved right now. And so he has to be um, careful about how he makes that transition. And I also think he has mixed feelings about whether he even wants to do that. He's like, you know what? Part of me wants to be the good guy. Part of me wants to live a simple life. But part of me also thinks that's not who I am. And that's never who I have been. It's, it's never who I will be. So why not be the bad guy to the best of my ability? And I think he's caught somewhere in this conversation right now in his head. And one thing is certainly true that 
Esme sort of represents the comfortable devil on his shoulder, his, his bad boy side, uh, where he's lived his whole life, you know, in terms of mischievousness. And then Trina uh, resembles a more enlightened, empathetic, kinder version of himself. And I'm not sure if Spencer has completely made up his mind on uh, which, which side he, he wants to eventually join. What I do know about Spencer is that he's an opportunist. So as things come up in either direction, uh, he's definitely willing to see where it takes him. Um, I was not planning to ask this question, but I have to know if you, if he got like a one wish from a genie and he could eke out revenge on one person, who would he pick Ava or Valentine? Ava for sure. Because, um, just because politically, she poses the the greatest threat. I mean, she's in control of his trust fund. I was right about now. to say she's I mean, got money. Yeah, that's yeah, that's completely <laughs> unacceptable. And you know, there's just there's there have been more recent personal attacks here. And you know, there's there's always going to be. I think in Spencer's mind, there's always going to be a bad guy, right? There's always going to be a Valentine who's ready to cause havoc, but it's the people who enable those bad things to happen that are really the source of the issue. And Ava enabled what it enabled Valentine's behavior by selling herself out for that surgery. And so from Spencer's perspective, Ava is 1000% the, uh, the greater of the two evils in that situation. Um, well, coming up this week on the show, Spencer, Esme, Trina, Jocelyn, and Cameron finally make it to the cabin for their getaway. So what can you tease about this little excursion? Yeah, the cabin is going to be a really, really exciting time. Spencer sort of sees this trip as being one last hurrah before he goes off to Spring Ridge. And so I think he's trying to get as much fun in as possible. He's trying to get his mind off of what's around the corner for him. But it turns out that there uh, is uh, there's more trouble than there is fun, uh, unfortunately, for Spencer. But it's going to be a really, really, really fun few episodes. So um, people need to tune in so that they can stay up to date on the latest and greatest with what's happening on General Hospital, as always. Come on. Um, so before we let you go, you talked earlier about how getting the job, you realized at the time it felt life-changing and that it has been. So can you put into words how being cast on General Hospital has changed your life? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't I don't know any other way to describe it than as being an absolute paradigm shift. I mean, everything about my life is different. I live on the opposite end of the country now. I have new friends. I have um, new work, of course. Um, I've been I've been reading a lot about um, biology and about um, how your body changes physiologically when it interacts with different people and different spaces and different environments. <clears throat> and I've realized that people actually have the ability to change on a cellular level when they start to uh, inhabit different circumstances. And I would say that that's very much true for me. I feel like a different person on a cellular level now than when I had this job before uh, for, for a lot of different reasons. But, um, but General Hospital has definitely been probably the biggest one. Wow. Well, it's just been so great chatting with you and hearing everything you have to say and your stories. And we certainly look forward to what's ahead with Spencer. It's been great so far. 
So congratulations and thanks so much for your time today. Oh my goodness. Yes, it's been a, an absolute pleasure on my end. Thank you so much for having me on and uh, all the best always. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Nicholas Chavez for being our guest. If you like this podcast, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to pick up a new issue on sale now and come back next week for another podcast.